In 2019, I was interviewing the artist Big Crit about the soundtrack to his life. I hit up, who else? DJ Wally Sparks, friend of the podcast, who's played an integral role in Crit's career. And Wally told me that I absolutely had to ask about Southside the Realist by Big Tuck. Now, I hadn't heard the song or of the Dallas native before, though based on how Crit's eyes lit up when I brought both those things up, I realized that there was a Southern hip hop history that I hadn't previously considered. When we talk about Southern hip hop's evolution since Andre 3000's Source Award speech, we tend to focus on Atlanta's contributions in particular. Fortunately, today's guest is here to remind us that there are South Sides outside of Atlanta, that stories about the genre still need to be told and amplified to understand the totality of what the South has to say. Her essay, Taylor Crumpton Considers Big Tuck's Purple Hulk, is out tomorrow, December 1st, on Shea Serrano's Halfway Books imprint. It's the first glimpse into a book in the works about Dallas rap history. Joining us is none other than culture critic Taylor Crumpton, i.e. Taylor the Realist, here on the Some to Say podcast. I feel like professional shoulder shimmier should be added to your bio somewhere. That was a real, like, that was a real intentional shoulder shimmy that you gave one time, Taylor. Look, the Kappas ain't got nothing on me. <laughs> <laughs> and there's your author bio. Hi, Taylor. Hey, How are you doing? Oh, my God. We are so excited. Um, I've been calling you a longtime listener, first time caller because we've been wanting to get you on this show. And now, I mean, there couldn't be a better occasion. So we're so happy to have you here. When I tell y'all this has been on like the dream of podcasts I want to get on, also on a petty note, all of my friends have been on here before me. And I was like, listen, <laughs> what am I getting the invite? Who is sliding in my DMs? I'm trying to get on something to say. And here we are. <laughs> Listen, we've just been scared of doing the things virtually, but COVID-19 has uh, had its way, let's say. Mm -hmm. But for the better, honestly. For the better, honestly. Um, so, so yeah. Um, so, funny enough, like, this is coming out after you moved back to Dallas proper. You've been in Oakland for a minute, right? Yeah, I was in Oakland for over two years. So, it's so interesting to hear from like folks out there who now have like a greater appreciation of Dallas hip hop. And I'm like, I've done my job. Like if one person in the Bay can say that they like Dallas hip hop outside of boogieing, outside of that man, Vanilla Ice, formerly known in Dallas as Robert Van Winkle, then I can move back home with a piece of mind. <laughs> what was the, what did you find was the, the the relationship that people in the Bay had with Dallas hip hop, if at all, before you began to kind of like infiltrate their <laughs> the Bay Area society? <laughs> they seem really intent on like being the Bay. Like in my mind, when you mm -hmm. go to the Bay, all you hear is Bay music. Like nobody else even exists. I mean, you're not that wrong. I definitely experienced a culture shock when I moved 
And my cousin was like, nah, Taylor, like, don't bend over. Like, I was about to, like, hit a twerk or something. He was like, nah, they yike out here. And I was like, what's yiking? And then someone came up behind me and was like, duh, 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 duh. And I was like, what the hell is this? <laughs> <laughs> like, like, I looked back over my shoulder, like, the great migration definitely changed some things. Um, but I would often <laughs> joke with a lot of folks, like, a lot of people's grannies or their great-grandmothers are from Texas. So mm-hmm. it's like it's like one or two generations removed from the South, but like enough to build their own subculture. But there's still like some similarities. So in Texas, we brisket, they eat tri-tip out there. Like in the Bay, it's very much like boom, 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 like knocks out your car. But you know, in the South, we hear it in our car. Like in the Bay, it's more like in the dancing and like the moving rhythmics. Mm -hmm. So it was kind of trying to find that like shared lineage that shared genealogy where i'm like if you like this insert bay area artist then the dallas equivalent would be this artist and like let's let's try to let's approach it with an open mind open ears like when i first got there i was like we should really have like some of your music like chopped up like i want to send it to the chop stars and they're like you've got to be like kidding me like how dare you try to chop bay music guess who just got like they're like Project drop, Larry June, and it sounds fantastic. Like it was made to be sliced up. So I always believe in like the blending of regional styles because then you get like this very, just like cute hybrid. So you really had the suggestions. Like you really, you're like Taylor Crumpton, AKA Taylor the Realist, AKA Taylor the Algorithm. Like <laughs> if, if you like this, then I have five other artists that you should really be into. Literally, I think I was interviewing the Mel of the Outfit Texas for Peace for Level. And he was like, you're really like a Dallas ambassador. And I was like, pretty much. Like I go around, mm. I'm like, have you heard about Dallas? What about Dallas? What do you love about Dallas? You don't know about Dallas. I know people are like, if this bitch doesn't shut up about did you notice a big difference between dallas hip-hop scene and oakland's hip-hop scene Mm. they share some similarities because oakland has always been considered like the underdog in comparison to los angeles and that's very similar to the way in which dallas is marketed right as like houston's understudy as like the cousin who didn't get the spotlight but like still has some merit so i think once i kind of understood the framing of like these regional styles and how they had similar origin stories then people were like ah okay like all right like we fuck with y'all because you also had to grind and hustle and that's something that's very i think intrinsic to like the bay area spirit right when you go out on the bay no one's being really flashy right people are coming like hoodies jeans sneakers because that place may be shot up and you need to be able to run faster than you look cute and it's like kind of just explaining those cultural things even outside of the music of the way people talk how we move how we eat I think kind of like strengthen that kinship but also there are some folks who you know as much as I love the bay are like I want to maintain the the purity of our sound and our culture and I get that because when I lived there and I saw how much gentrification had taken away from one city one region it makes sense why so many people want to get defensive of their communities and then in hip-hop especially that sound would you say it's a source of like irritation and contention amongst people in Dallas when 
the national audience or people from other places kind of just lump Texas into one thing. Cause like Dallas is not Houston mm-hmm. and, and Houston is not Port Arthur and, and uh, El Paso is not Dallas and Dallas is not Corpus Christi. So like how annoying is it when people in the culture in Dallas hear this thing as if Dallas and Houston are just some synonymous entities? Yeah. I think it's like, I, I grew up as a little sister. It's like, instead of me being introduced as Taylor Crumpton, I get introduced as like Joseph Crumpton's little sister, right? There's kind of like already that onus placed upon me based on like my my elder. And then I'm always being judged in comparison to that, right? And that's something that Dallas has always struggled is Houston is always in the forefront of people's minds, especially in like this last 10 years when Houstoners have really been dominating pop culture and music. Um, and then you come to Dallas and they're like, okay, what's your equivalent? Like, who do you have? And it's like, well, we've never had a, an equivalent like a Houston. Like we, we categorize things differently here, right? I always say that Dallas has multiple worlds of hip hop. So if you're looking for a Houston-esque thing, you can find that. You can also find an Indian alternative, a reggae. There's so much fluidity here. And as I was talking to George, he was like, you know, no one asked that in the music industry about Austin. Austin gets mm. to be, be free. It gets to be a fluid city. It gets to be a live music capital of the world. Austin never has to be pigeonholed or... or put in a one-dimensional box. But when it comes to Dallas, there's always kind of that, like that forcing of the barriers. And I, I don't know if it's because that would be easier to market to people or kind of what's the onus behind it, but what it signals to artists and creatives, it's like you need to be able to fit everything into um, an electronic press kit about your artistry so I can try to get you out there. And it's like hip hop has never been defined by EPK. So why would we put that on a regional scene? It's such a weird thing for A&R or a label executive to even have that kind of mentality. Like, I, I mean, I guess I get it maybe from the standpoint of, you know, you're, you're just trying to, in their mind, maybe they're thinking, I'm just trying to sell a product and I want to just sell something that is familiar to people. But that's not how, music doesn't work that way. Yeah. <laughs> like, no one wants you know, you want Pepsi or you want Coke. You don't want Shasta. Like, that's just <laughs> not how, like you want the different thing, but you just want it to be a different thing. You don't want it to be a knockoff of something that you already know. Even though I did grow up on those 99 cent sodas that Shasta. I mean, everyone's had a Shasta. <laughs> Everybody's had to drink a Shasta. Everybody's had an RC Cola before. Uh, like, it's just one of the things that happens. Oh my God. So. At what point did it become clear that in addition to being Taylor, the algorithm that you needed to really write about this stuff, that you needed to put this shit to pen so that people don't make the same mistake over and over again? Mm -hmm. It was a combination of two factors. Um, Number one, I love Lance Walker's Houston Rap Tapes. It's uh, published in the American Music Series at University of Texas Press. And every book there does such a good due diligence of like archival music research. And sometimes I think that specifically with hip hop, right? Because so many people thought it was like a fad and it wasn't going to last that people didn't keep up the records. And what Lance was able to do 
archiving like the starting of like Houston, how it differed in between the neighborhoods, interviewing people from all those neighborhoods who were willing and still alive to present day. It, it, to me, it kind of felt like if Lance can do it, I can do it. Like if Houston can have a book, then Dallas can have a book. And that's something that I've been very adamant in talking to literary agents and publishers is that I don't want to con- to condense this into a Texas hip-hop book. I want it to be a Dallas hip-hop book because Dallas hip-hop is worthy to stand on its own. And earlier this year, was it this year? I want to say it was this year, y'all. 2020 has been three different years It all blends together. Yeah, it um, all blends together. I had been working for months on this reported piece about like the history of Dallas hip-hop. And in doing research for that, I learned so, so many things I didn't know, right? There was so much. I really came into that, that reported piece thinking like, I'm from Dallas. I know everything. This is going to be an easy piece. And that, that 1600 word reported piece took like over 90 days of reporting and researching and re-interviewing and finding people and talking and editing and finding old A&Rs who like worked in the Dallas scene back in the day to get their commentary. And I realized, like, oh, my God, like, I was the child that DJ um, Eddie D, who runs the longest running radio station in the nation, who said in his D Magazine article that I worry about a generation of Dallas kids growing up on hip hop thinking it started in the boogie movement, which was like when we were really famous for our dances in the mid 2000s, because for us, you know, that was when we we're on Main Street. That's when we ascended outside of like the city limits in the South. Um, but in doing that research, I said, wow, like if there's so much I don't know, and it's like me, someone who's like devoted their life to music, like journalism and criticism, then I can only imagine like what my friends and who I grew up with, like don't know as well. So you kind of have this whole entire generation of people who love Dallas hip hop, who don't even know who like our elders are. And I, I saw that distinctly because when MO3 passed and then our city went into like seven days of just shootouts, like every single night someone was being shot. Like it was just, the streets were hot. It was dangerous. And I tweeted like the OGs need to come in and like talk to people. And someone commented and was like, we don't have any OGs. And I was like, yes, we do. Right. And that, like, I think that's the, the emphasis of why I fight so hard for the history to be there because we have a whole generation that thinks we didn't have OGs. We just had the niggas from the boogie movement and they're not here. And it's like, no, they walk among us. I swear to God to you, they're real. But there's so many factors about why one generation doesn't know the other. And I'm hoping that this essay can kind of like bridge the two. What is it with the older OGs that, like, what what is that disconnect? Is it them not wanting to participate with the with the kids now? Or is it just a thing of... Are they just emotionally spent by, you know, the stuff they had to deal with over the years? Like, wh- where do you think that that falls? I definitely think it's the latter because we have this one OG and I'm smiling because I can't wait to sit down and interview him. OG Cottonmouth, the C with the K. And when I tell you, I ain't never met an old black man that can talk so much shit. <laughs> back at like back in the height of his day, he would fight DJs who wouldn't play Dallas music. He would go up to a venue 
and like pull up on them and be like, stop playing all this national shit, play our shit. Like he was known like in his wow. height for going up to venues and be like, play our shit. You're DJing in Dallas. You're from Dallas. You're not with New York. You're not with LA. You're playing our shit. So he appears on like every single Dallas podcast, Dallas YouTube series. And sometimes his, his rhetoric it's like that old school rhetoric where it's like a lot of newer MCs are like, well, the city doesn't love us. The city doesn't support us. And he's like, you have to have the city invest in you. You have to make them love you. The love is just not going to be automatically given. And I think it's those generational differences along with he had a great run, like a really great run. And so did a lot of his, like his peers, like, uh, Mr. Pookie and Lucci, um, uh, Red Room Records, which was like mentioned in Billboard. Um, like, I think there's this MC that goes by like Google, like late 90s, early 2000s. Dallas had so many independent record labels like popping up, like you blinked and there was another one and you're like, ah, oh, shit. But so many independent ones popped up, but there wasn't the sustaining infrastructure to keep them. Right. So it, it kind of felt like the gold rush, like, we're going out there because we see what No Limit is doing. We see what Cash Money is doing. We're seeing what Swisher House is doing in Houston, not accounting for like how those cities already had this deep century, like decades long deep of like a music economy that was like blues and jazz and country. So they kind of had the, the, the elements in place to support this like emerging hip hop infrastructure. Well, like Dallas has been very hit and miss. Like we haven't had a consistent music scene right and we can look in southern histories like atlanta before hip-hop already had a music scene there so like there were there were tools in place right and it's like we didn't have those tools in place so it makes sense why the ogs were like man i'm just gonna go step away because this isn't gonna pay my bills right at the end of the day people need to pay their bills and we have heard from indie artists how hard it is to make it by now in 2020, we can only imagine what that was like in the late 90s, early 2000s. See, that's rough. Mm-hmm. And those infrastructures is everything. People got to eat and people got to pay bills. And we know with hip hop, it, it, we, we all love it. But I think we all uniquely individually have sacrificed some part of our livelihoods of our lives in order to still stay in here producing and, you know, for the artist, for someone who has to really create from that, from that place of mind, that peace of mind, if that's completely gone, you can't create art. And then for a lot of these, like, late 90s, early 2000s, like Big Tuck in particular, he was a college dropout. If music doesn't work out, what are you supposed to do? Yeah. So I guess going into this essay, um, because the essay doesn't just touch on the album. It's not like a straightforward autobiographical retelling of Big Tuck's life leading into Pig Purple Hulk, excuse me. Um, it's touching on these larger questions about infrastructure and Dallas being like a little sister to Houston. So going into this essay, did you already know that you were going to be touching on all these larger points? Or was this something that you kind of figured out along the way? Yeah, in the pitch I sent to Shay, I definitely did the the classic Dallas-Houston comparison. Um, but I kind of realized I was wrong. I made it seem that Houston was this big bad bully that took 
all of our resources that left us in the dust, that was that older, that older sibling that went to college and you were stuck at home and had to deal with all of this shit, right? But in talking to George, there's this paragraph in which George talks about as him as a Latinx man getting support and guidance from Swisher House, specifically OG Ron C and DJ Michael Watts. And I was surprised to see him comment on the racial dynamics. Like I'm a, I'm a Latinx man managing six black artists. And I, it kind of speaks to how like in, in Texas, there has always been this, this relationship between the Latinx and, and black communities. Um, it's been complicated. There's been some tensions. There have been some really fruitful moments. Um, so for him to say that, I was like, maybe I've gotten this wrong, right? And he was talking about how on mixtapes, like he would call like OG Ron C and Michael Watson. He was like, yeah, bring, bring your artists on. We'll put them on our mixtapes. We'll make sure they collab. And that's why in Big Tuck's Purple Hulk, you see like Chameleonaire, you see some Houston artists because George and OG Ron C and Michael Watts already had that relationship. That's something that was beneficial. And that story doesn't always get told. In fact, I think that was the first time I heard that story. And I'm like, wow, like I'm 25, it's 2020. And I'm just hearing how Houston actually was supportive. Um, which is ironic because there also has appeared in Texas hip hop where like Dallas and Houston was against each other. So it's so interesting in hip hop how we hear more about the beef and we focus the attention on the conflicts than like the resolution. So I hope people will read that and be like, shit, like we were hurt when both cities were in the mainstream, but Houston ascended, but there were so many other reasons why Houston did. And it's not because they just pushed Dallas off of a roof. Mm, and this is George Lopez, right? Mm-hmm, of T-Town Music. Got it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, you write in your essay that hip hop found its home in Dallas and Houston. And in Dallas, we found our billboard champion in Tuck. Like, mm-hmm. Tell us more about that billboard champion. Man, it's so funny because, you know, now on Twitter, people will be like, I'm charting. Like, it's this. And I'm like... When we think about the early 2000s when people were still buying CDs, like when we still had brick and mortar stores and you had to really go out and pay money, charting meant a whole entire different thing. Like like there was an emphasis when like early 2000 rappers charted because people had to physically go out and support, right? Not now when you can go from your phone, you can listen to the singles. I feel like streaming really had a detriment on hip hop, but that's a conversation for a different time. But but for a, a regional a regional market, a regional sound like Dallas, to make it on Billboard was kind of like an indicator to everyone who was a youngin and some OGs and probably some elders back in the day, to be honest, that it, it validated the existence of our sound. And, you know, I'm very much one who will critique validation from institutions just based on like my political beliefs. But in that early 2000s moments, when you needed that sign that, your sound wasn't ignored, your city wasn't ignored, especially in this like moment when the South was starting to come up, it meant a lot. It, 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 it affirmed so many things, I think, about like the identity and the makeup of Dallas that was really, really lost to Houston, right? We think about Houston, everybody loves the candy-painted cars, and everybody loves Chapter and Screw, and everybody loves Lean, and DJ Screw is a legend. 
And for Dallas, when Tuck made it on Billboard, it was like, damn, like us too. Like, our our hip-hop culture made it on there, right? And you talk to people still to this day, and they still have so much love and reverence for Tuck and what he did. And I think it's funny because, like, it wasn't a high place on a Billboard chart. Like, I think it was, like, 70-something, maybe 76. Like, not top 10, not top 25. Like, 76, maybe 73. And we celebrated that. Like, he was number one. Well, I mean, I think there's value in that. I was having a, a conversation with a, a friend of mine recently that we were just talking about the year and, you know, uh, people accomplishing things and doing stuff or, you know, being frustrated by their lack of progress or whatever. And sometimes you just have to take those small wins and really, like, cherish those things, right? Like, sometimes a small win will carry you with, you know, inspiration and and you know have you feeling like okay I'm, I'm on the right path to something you know even at 76 i mean you, you're on the chart that matters they have to account for you your name has to be said in in the in a conversation of of the music that is impacting people in that kind of way mm-hmm. and you know purple hulk did so well like it, the reception to it was so great that attracted Universal Motown and Universal Universal Republic Records to Dallas. Like his mixtape was so like insurmountable. Like the acclaim, like it was being played nationally, and like that is the reason why that major record label came to Dallas and signed them for seven point four million off of mixtape, yeah. and not just Tuck. The whole entire record label got signed. Like it wasn't just one man. His success spread over to everyone else. And I think that's what I want people to get away from this essay. Like this mixtape was so good that in 2005-ish, they signed with the whole entire record label for 7.4 million, which was like at the time, one of the most expensive contracts like in Texas music history. Prior to that, were was there like no footprint for major labels in Dallas at all? Really, like had they just not even really bothered to come down? Not to say that was maybe their first time, but like was there little to no investment at all in what was going on there? You know, Dallas is so funny in the music industry because it's like we're like the dirty secret. People know we exist, right? We are a we are a heavy production and songwriting like city right um the the reason why oak cliff is mentioned in little john's song is because the producer of that dj snake is from the iconic hip-hop group nemesis which was one of the first hip-hop groups from dallas to have like their music videos played right and and i believe they did get a national record label right like they they're so old school, like their videos played on like jukebox uh, for like any old heads who may listen to this. And when little John was like a youngin, he loved Nemesis. And that's why he asked DJ Snake to produce that song. And that's why Oak Cliff is on there because Nemesis is from Oak Cliff, which is West Dallas. Right. So that's like 80s to now. We um, the late great Foxy who passed away. Um, wrote on Future's latest album. And when it came out, he was like, this is for the Triple D, like Triple D worldwide. Like we did this, right? So we've contributed so much 
to hip hop, but behind the scenes, right? Like to this day, Red Bull Radio has come to Dallas, like um, Audio Mac has been in Dallas. Like we've had talents and scouts and people come, but they necessarily haven't stayed. And like, that's the thing that always gets people. You know, we exist. You know, we're here. You know, we produce great things. But why won't you stay? There's a place in Dallas known as Oak Cliff where you can tell the wrath from the rim. Getting full of them bulls looking for the peace. If you ain't got a Z, you got a GT. Homeboys with the chicks on the phone. Brothers having trouble with Fate T. Jones. We still stick together to say the least. Cause everybody's all chilling at a park called Keys. Riding through the park looking for babes. I did want to ask, like, you know, we were touching on how Big Tuck is like the unofficial mayor of Dallas. And I just want to get a pic- better picture of what does Purple Hulk mean to Taylor Crumpton? Like, like what early childhood memories do you associate with that album? I need Tuck to write an apology letter to my elementary school for fighting someone um, after I listened. <laughs> after Wait, I listened. ISS or OSS? It was out of school because I threw his ass into a lake. Um, in, the in a lake? Yeah, so like. <laughs> Yo, Purple, Purple Hulk really makes you strong, huh? Like you just throwing people in the lakes. So to context, um, Tussle is one of my like favorite songs, like to date like i wish i could be a selfish critic and put it on like a top best hip-hop songs of the world even though that would just be like a selfish like insertion just for me um but tussle really was that song back in the day you played at 145 like the club is closed we're not serving alcohol like it's time to go to your car because just as we know like neck of you buck is a fight anthem tussle was like the dallas like fight anthem when i was doing research for this book i like typed in like tussle on twitter and i literally found this like dallas fight anthem like twitter poll that someone did and like the winner of it was tussle so it's like universally known like you grow up you hear it you look at the person you came with you look at that one person you've kind of been wanting to fight if they're there in the place and it's like i'm gonna beat this bitch's ass like i'm gonna beat her ass you know what it is like you know how how people on twitter were like watching magic city like this is the time for you to lead like they finna shoot like right fighting fighting i was like a young kid didn't know anything about going out to the club and, and hennessy making me act all crazy and stuff but i just felt in my spirit when tuck goes i'ma do something bad like <laughs> it's time now I like whipped that girl's ass and like my straight backs and like a jersey and like <laughs> and like I remember it like some U.S. Polo like Association sneakers and my mom just pulled up like girl why'd you call me I was just on lunch at TJ Maxx and I'm like I'm sorry like I'm just <laughs> I'm so mad that Instagram didn't exist during this time because someone would have caught you dragging this girl up and down the walls when with I tell big you- tuck in the background. Just bop, bop, bop. And then when I when I tossed her into the lake, it was just, I know that, that school counselor was like, it's okay, her parents just got a divorce. She's going through a lot of drama. <laughs> she's dealing she, with a lot right now. She's dealing with trauma. With 
But I'm like, yeah, bitch. I was like, I hate you. <laughs> I think we all need those songs, though. Like, we did an mm-hmm. episode about, um, you know, songs that that make us feel things or, in, you know, stuff that, and like, we all need a violent song. Like, for me, mm-hmm. uh, OG Bobby Johnson is, like, my mm. violence song. Like... It's like everyone needs at least one song that they know that like if they really need to whoop somebody ass or they really need to like exercise the violent demons that are inside of them, just give me that song so that I can do something bad to like a pillow or my couch or like something somewhere that won't necessarily end me in, in prison. So Tussle is that song for you. To this day. To I love it. this day, I hope that when I'm 80 years old and somebody plays it, I still feel like I need to jump. <laughs> Get you up off your walk. You're like, hold on now. Yeah, I don't know about this it. is my corner. This is my corner of the senior citizen house. You go over there. Yeah, didn't nobody tell you you can have extra banana pudding today? You damn sure can't have mine. My God. Uh, I'm, I'm swiping. They get territorial. Yeah, but overall, regardless of the fighting, um, outside of my my in-school suspensions and detentions that I got from Tech, Purple Hulk is just a good encapsulation of what it was like to be Black in Dallas in that era. Like, it's an era that's lost now. Um, even now, as I, like, am recording this in South Dallas, which is, like, the... I think it's been described... It's like the epicenter of like Black Dallas. And they're like, there's a reason why I mentioned Lincoln High School, where Tuck is from, because that was like during segregation, the high school for the Black students. So there's so much Black history and culture in South Dallas where he is from. And we hear that in Southside the Realist, right? We we hear this this kind of, you know, how the, the Bay Gate keeps, we hear that that one moment in time, that one era that was very, that was very black, that was very Dallas, that was our things and it's lost. So it also invokes an, a sense of nostalgia of like a Dallas that has lost. It, it feels sometimes like a time machine. Like you can go back and you're in 2003. And even when you watch the video, you feel like you're transported back in the time of the tall tees and the cars and the girls with the terrible outfits and the hair. Like you feel all of those moments. And as our city is undergoing gentrification, as it's changing, as, as people are moving in, right? It's the one thing that has like stood the test of time. And I think in hip hop, we always talk about like classic albums and timeless albums and Purple Hulk, Purple Hulk still stands to this day for that, right? There's a reason why if I go outside and play a song, someone's going to start mouthing the words, right? It, it's for all of us. And even in Dallas, it went outside of Dallas proper into the suburbs, right? Like the other day I tweeted a video of Post Malone and Big Tuck rapping Southside the Realist word for word. Post grew up in the suburbs of Dallas, Right. He Tuck performed that at a white wedding <laughs> because the, the, the bride and the groom and the bridal party grew up on Tuck. So it was the one thing in like the very segregated South Dallas is a segregated city that he was able to go into every county, every suburb, every school district. And it's so well beloved. I think ironically, the most expensive university in Texas, SMU, which is like in the whitest, richest part of Dallas, would have him perform all the time. Like he would, he was 
damn near part of the football program because like his songs were being played in the hype videos and in the promos and like SMU was so funny because it recently got in trouble for its recruitment video which just featured South Dallas and Black Dallas and people were like there's like less than five percent of black people on your campus like why did you make this like a Paul Quinn recruitment video? Like the video had like J. Cole and Drake and like every rapper that has mentioned Dallas in a song. And we're like, it's so interesting because people see value in Merit and Tuck now in 2020, in 2019. But at the time, wasn't so much supported by local media at radio stations to like kind of add to that, that comment about the OGs. You're making all this music. Tuck at one time was being played in North Carolina, New York, Indiana, but he wasn't being played in Dallas. And it's like Southside the Realist has been named the most iconic Dallas song by the Dallas Observer. But at the time, not a lot of local media and radio stations were supporting him. So it's so weird looking back at this album, knowing its legacy, knowing its reception. But at that time, the only people who really valued it were black people from Dallas. See, what do you think? Crazy. That, oh, go ahead. No, I, all I was trying to say was that like it's crazy how um, gentrification brings to light this music that sort of like reflects the souls of the city, like um, the the pure essence of it. Like what you're talking about reminds me of the Dungeon Family reunion, because when that was happening, that's happening at Lakewood Amphitheater, which is the SWATs or Southwest Atlanta Two Strom. And I think people felt so emotionally connected to that music because the city of Atlanta was changing and it was getting to the point where um, it was starting to become irrecognizable. You're starting to, I think Ryan Cameron once joked that the um, like Atlanta's bird should be like the crane, but like the construction crane or something like that <laughs> because of just how much the city was changing. And um, that's what you talk about the significance of Big Tuck and Purple Hulk reminds me of. It's just like, it's something I think that, people want to be able to hold on to as the city's landscape is sort of transforming before their eyes. That's all. Well, it's pretty, to that point though, it's pretty ironic that the degradation of the city of, of the neighborhoods leads to that recognition of value. <laughs> it's like, well, if you just leave the shit alone, there'd probably be a lot more valuable shit. But y'all want yoga mats and like <laughs> dog pedicure places and all this other shit. So like, okay, fine. Um, but my question was, what do you think was the what was the disconnect with like the, the local media and the radio stations? Like what was it just like economic of okay, we're a radio station, we have to play the national songs because that's all people will stay around and listen to so we could pay advertisers or were they really just not rocking with what was being done locally you know when i interviewed george there was this this radio dj at k104 in like the let's say early to mid 2010s and had him on and she was like george y'all were really ahead of your time and even zach crane who's a music critic at the dallas observer him and i joked that like if dsr would have came out during the Tumblr era, right? During the era of, of music discovery and the blogs, they probably would have catapulted and been regarded so differently. Like there's always this kind of joke that y'all were too ahead of your time and the local media and radio stations 
didn't want to acknowledge like this progression, this evolution in a sense, because what they did was very new for the Dallas market and like the Chitlin circuit. So it's so interesting because it's like, what if instead of y'all coming out in 1999, four, uh, four years after the Source Awards, y'all came out like in 2009? Like what would happen if you, it was just a decade later? And it's so interesting because they walk around the city known as legends, but at the time, the radio didn't want to see them as legends, right? And I don't know if they saw them as fads because they had been rapping for years. But when we talk about radio, I think it's so interesting because now we realize that even though we may have a local radio station, they're really a national radio station that just kind of has like a franchise in like a city, right? I think of local radio like a McDonald's or a Burger King. Yes, it exists in your city. Yes, people from your city work there, but you get the same burger you would get in any other city. So what makes it uniquely to you? Because even artists today complain about how local radio doesn't support them. When I was in the Bay, artists would be like, 106K Mail is never going to play local stuff. And they didn't play them. They had to get, Big Tuck had to get played in every other city outside of Dallas for a Dallas radio station to finally play him. Like the most backward thing to me, you had to go on tour, get support in other regional markets, and then they're like, okay, we'll play you. And it's like, you could have been the first one to break him. Like, I feel like you need to be supported. It was right there in your backyard. Literally. I feel like your, your hometown should support you more than anyone else. And that's a sentiment that's still carried on in Dallas rappers today. It's why they moved to Atlanta. It's why they moved to L.A. Let me make it big in another city, and then I'll come back, and the city will respect me. And I think it's so wild that in 2020 we still have that. How do you change that, though? Man, you know, I love coming in as Mama Tay as in addition to being Taylor the Algorithm, where it's like... <laughs> We, <laughs> what I have witnessed from the outside looking in is like Dallas hip hop blogs, platforms on YouTube, and there's a reason why I'm specifically saying it like that, have tried to get generations of rappers in a room, but to have a televised like video, not like something behind closed doors to like air it out and share experiences and like pit the generations against one each other when I think they could really learn from each other. If we have seen over the past 25 years, the common thing we all have is that we don't have this infrastructure to support our creative art scenes, then we should have took in this time, this 25 years, this 10 years, the 17 years from when Purple Hulk came out to build it. To build it. And not everybody goes and makes an independent record label, but maybe let's just have two or three that are really good and we built those up and we create a pipeline. There's no pipeline. It's just it's just a kid with a dream. And sometimes people in Dallas are like, this doesn't happen to people in Atlanta. This doesn't happen to people in L.A. It's happening to people in New York. And I'm like, you have to contextualize our scenes are different. People compare Dallas to Houston, but I compare Dallas to Memphis a lot. Yes, they had 3-6 Mafia, right? But why doesn't everyone in the world know about Juice Fruit? 
Juice Fruit is one of my favorite rappers out. Do y'all know about Juice Fruit from Memphis? I do Mm-mm. not know about Juice Fruit. Put Man. Me on, please. Listen to her stuff. She was on the P Valley. She does the she does the theme song for P Valley, like down in the valley where the girls oh. are. Oh, got you. Okay. And she just got like this, like this southern gothic type of slang on the track. And I'll just be like, Wow, like she's been featured on P Valley and she had a song on Birds of Prey and in my reviews of Birds of Prey for Pitchfork, which never saw the light of day, um, I said that she was the hidden gem of the album. That she, mm. like, even though they had the the Normani Meg collaboration Diamonds and then they had the Sweetie one that they like promoted, Juice Fruit really ate up everyone on that album. And Memphis, we have 3-6 Mafia, but there's so many other people there. And I think they also suffer from, like, they have pockets of talents who can be national, but when they fall back down, because every national star has, like, a little, like, one year, two year, when you're maybe not the poppin', they at least have, like, Universal or RCA or someone to, like, hold them. But we know for local and regional, there's no one to hold you. You just fall and you're done. And that happens a lot in Dallas. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I imagine all of this makes reporting on Purple Hulk such a interesting endeavor. I guess one, I'm just wondering what that process was even like. But then also, if there was a tidbit about Big Tuck or this larger Dallas hip hop history that you learned along the way from specifically reporting this essay. Mm-mm. So my bibliography consists of um, the DFW Hip Hop Facebook page. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I love that. What? Shout out to the to the uncles um, on there. Shout out to Picasso, who's a local rapper who created it. Um, because Picasso ha- walks around Dallas like with these binders, like those laminated binders that you had in grade school with like the pockets of like. Oh my god. Oh, old concert tickets and old flyers and like <sighs> old like when I when I tell you he will probably never sell it but I hope from our like relationship he will one day give it to me because he is like a a walking Dallas encyclopedia he calls himself a griot a cultural worker and his page bef- I was on his page before halfway books just because I wanted to know more I, just, I, I wanted to know the history that I knew was there, but I couldn't see, right? It, like, it was taking a blind act of faith. I know that this is valuable. I know that it's there. Why can't I find anything on it? And so much, so much of, like, my weeks was me being frustrated and being, like, all of the other writers wrote about very popular albums. The Roots, Notorious B.I.G., Little Kim. Kendrick Lamar, people have written about those artists for decades and years, right? Some of them probably even have university studies on them. Nobody knows about Dallas. Nobody knows about Tuck, which means how am I supposed to find something that nobody knows about? And the bulk of my essay has a lot of quotes because I had to do so many like informative interviews and formal interviews to have these people who were present in the time speak to what that era was like. Because even with George, he was like, so many people have interviewed me for supposed books or documentaries or so-and-so, but those projects have never seen the light of day. 
So even in talking to George, I was like, I promise this will make it out. Like, I promise I'm not just going to interview you and this doesn't work out. And for Zach, who is a music critic, who is a white man from West Texas, I said, I want you to talk about how you were the music critic, but I, I haven't found any Dallas hip hop articles until 2008 when which the boogie movement. How did y'all forget a whole entire musical movement, right? Y'all didn't archive it. Y'all didn't see the value in it. Only Black Dallas did. And Black Dallas had no power in local media. And it kind of was like, I don't know, I'm getting emotional. It was kind of heartbreaking to, to, to see complete erasure. And when I was reading all the Southern hip-hop books, from Third Coast to Country Fried Soul to I'm Missing Another, Adventures in the Dirty South, when Texas was mentioned, it was Houston and Dallas was a sentence. Houston had a chapter, Dallas had a sentence. And I'm like, fuck, even in the Southern hip hop lexicon, like we aren't mentioned. Like it, it, it was so hard having to create something from thin air, literally. Like I was tweeting, I want y'all to buy this book because it is the first attempt, but I hope it won't be the last. I hope it won't be the last. I hope someone comes up behind me and they can reference this essay and they can come talk to me and they can build it out because I want it to be in every person in Dallas hands because there's so many people who don't even know the history of our hip hop scene. And that breaks my heart because if we don't know the history, we are so doomed to repeat those previous mistakes, right? And even when I did the 20th anniversary of Mama's Gun, Erica created our first hip hop freestyling session here. And as many reviews as they were out on the 20th anniversary of Mama's Gun, I haven't seen one written article on her touch about that history because it was hidden, but it's so intrinsic to who she is. Erica has always lived in Dallas. She never moved. Her second baby daddy, the DOC, most famous rapper from Dallas. He's been here since 2001. So it's always funny to me when we have national stars like her and she gets this rightfully deserved coverage, but they omit her Dallas history. And it's so interesting to me because I was reading those 20th anniversary reviews and I'm like, y'all are missing so much of who she is. Mm. And she's still mm-hmm. alive. She's here. Ready to talk about it. I could probably drive and find her house in a little bit. I think you should. Well, I mean, be uh, I wouldn't do that. Stay safe. <laughs> no, 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 no. Like, like I, I just, like, we're I, in a pandemic, but listen, I'm like, just we're like one degree of separation apart. Like, I think both her and I know of each other, but I haven't like reached out to my friend to be like, could I is it? like when this is a fully fresh, fully fleshed book project, I'm definitely pulling up on her because she was also one of the first MCs in Dallas. And I'm going to be like. So, rah, rah, so, apples, which were her MC names, you want to talk about it? Yes. Or, <laughs> or like. And you're just going to see, like, the flood of memories, like, you're going to see, that. it's going to be, like, that's so Raven moment, instead it's, like, all her hip-hop memories are coming back, and she's like, yes, <laughs> I'm going to tell you all the shit. What is the, what is the archival process like? Now, has the city, has have entities within the city, uh, newspapers, magazines, universities, libraries, anybody, have they kind of taken on the responsibility now of actually caring for these cultural things? Or is it still kind of, eh? 
it's I've loved being back home because I've been able to connect with local media about the book in mm. in interviews talk about like how local media really didn't do a good job back in the day and how we need more oh, projects like the fire. that. I think every local thing they're like how are you, how is the process and so you know you don't have any archives on this right like no one like no WFAA, no <laughs> KERA, like none of y'all did this. So thank you for the interview, but like you wanna you wanna cover the scene now because that's something that's still like y'all don't still cover the local scene outside of the Dallas Observer and Central Track, and that's why. Um, right. But Paul Quinn, which is a historical black college in Dallas, has approached me about archiving the interviews, which I think is so like beautiful because. Paul Quinn is the HBCU in Dallas and people don't even know that Dallas has an HBCU and for a long time was treated very similar to Morris Brown where they were letting the campus fall apart and, and like lose accreditations and it's already in a food desert and be ignored and Michael Sorrell who's known as present Dallas really took like a one-man mission to like now bring it to an HBCU that's like been covered in Forbes and been awarded like how HBCU should like progress in the future for their urban work model so i really want that partnership to be fully developed because i think having this black ass book archived from a black university about black ass dallas would just be like the cherry on top like if smu wanted to come with their rich white money we would have a different conversation about like equity and sustainability um, right. cause I had a, a separate conversation with them and then the Dallas bird in me came out. So I think we have to wait a little while cause I did cuss their asses out. Also, they did some <laughs> fucked up things to me when I was in high school and I was applying to them with the racist asses. So I think high school me was like, y'all also hold me when I was 18 bitch and I'm 25 and I'm coming back. But <laughs> you know, I'm a change. I'm a woman now. So like maybe you're a changed woman <laughs> until you hear tussle. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, we're gonna make Taylor. sure that Mike cues this shit. <laughs> the Pavlovian right. response will be real. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> I'm a good Christian woman until the song comes on. Until the song comes on, and then the devil is let loose. I'm not mad at you. I'm not mad at you. <laughs> what do you see next for Dallas hip hop? Man, what do I see next? Is I feel like there has been a Dallas hip hop pre clubhouse in post clubhouse because it felt like one Dallas hip hop artist got invited by someone invited the other one and then I blink and it's like the whole entire it's kind of like how TDE's on clubhouse like everybody Every, <laughs> like, we're all here now everybody just like moves as one front which has been interesting to watch because in the beginning as Dallas people are it's like the more aggressive, combative people than our sweet cousins in Houston. There was like this little thing where it's like Dallas people going into the room, talk about how y'all don't respect Dallas, yell and then leave. And I'd be like, y'all, we can't have that stereotype about us like going in because I have this in my bio and I don't need people to think I'm going to just start yelling. But now they've like started to use Clubhouse like as a networking app, which is its original intention. So it's been interesting to like hear from my friends where they're like, yeah, like I was on the phone with like this Grammy nominated songwriter, like this like producer or like this or like I flew out to L.A. even though I hate it because of fucking pandemic and like L.A. is a hot spot in California. But whatever. 
I flew out and like met with them and their team and like we're exchanging stuff. So it's it's interesting because I'm seeing like them build these relationships that wouldn't have existed, that wouldn't have been there for them um, because of the intimacy of Clubhouse. So I, I think there's going to be like a lot of a lot of birth and newness for the artist if if we're able to sustain it, because we've had periods where artists link up with national artists, like national ones, and they leave. When the Super Bowl, no, 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 not the Super Bowl. When the NBA All-Star Game was hosted in Dallas, there was this whole entire subsection, this would be in my book, how the NBA, NBA All-Star Game changed Dallas hip-hop. I mean, there were mixtapes, there were songs, there was a track where Dallas artists were with with DJ Drama, Diddy, and Diamond from, like, from, from Crime Op. Like, it was this weird period where I guess, like, every national rapper who was, like, hosting or going to do something during NBA All-Star collaborated with a Dallas artist. And we were just sitting there like... <laughs> what is this? Like, Diddy's doing a song with Drill Music? Like, what? Um, And, like, DJ Drama did a Gangsta Girls with, like, the late MO3 around that time. So I hope that this generation, which I see a lot of promise, learns from every other generation who has collaborated with the national artists or gotten some attention to build this relationship on sustainability and not just like, I need to pop. And I think that's the hardest thing to tell like artists, take the slow route, take the longevity, take the legacy route, take the lineage route. Mm, I like that. The legacy route. I like that. That's good framing right there. I want Dallas to have a legacy. I don't want us to have a moment because we've had too many moments. It, like I, that, that is like my gospel. Do the slow work. Do the work in the shadows. Do that, do that laborious work that nobody wants to do because it's going to pay off. And the hardest thing is telling independent and regional artists, you're not going to pop right now. Because you don't want to pop right now. You want to stay there forever. And in 2020, no one is looking at the origins of L.A. and New York and Atlanta hip hop. No one's looking at the origins. That's why I spent so much about the history. You got to understand, we weren't the first city to go through this. And we're not going to be the last. But we can do better. And I'm going to keep on shouting it till Mama Tay loses her voice. And then I'll be out for a little bit. No, but that's that's legit, though. I mean, you, you look at I mean, th- the scale is a little bit different, but you look at what's going on in New York right now where, you know, New York went through this period of, you know, all the New York rappers sound like they're from Decatur. And then it turned into, you know, we're bringing New York back. We're bringing New York back. And no one was really bringing New York back. And now in 2017, 18, 19, 2020, you see Griselda. They're from Buffalo. Uh, There's a gang of new underground rappers from Syracuse and all these places upstate Niagara Falls. Like, what are you talking about? That's not Queens, Brooklyn or Harlem. And it's been a long time that they were like, you know, the butt of the joke or not looked at as a place that had any significant talent or anything to offer to the game. And now in 2020, it's a totally different type of atmosphere. Sometimes that long route is just what it takes i mean i'm sure no one likes it i'm sure that we probably missed out the same way we missed out on probably a lot of dallas talent nationally is the way we've probably missed out on some of these other cities who we just haven't tapped into properly you know over the years but 
I mean, to your point, that 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 long route will it will pay off if you're really about that. Yes, yeah, it. My I was tweeting the other day. I said I want the Dallas. I want my essay to be successful because if I can prove just me, itty bitty freelancer with a three thousand word book essay, if I can amount all of this success, then that opens the door for someone else, and that's. That's always how I've moved in journalism. You can ask any of my friends. I give away more of my commissions than anything because <laughs> I, I, I know my place and I know that sometimes I'm not the right writer for it. And I'm hoping this is what happens, right? That this essay can turn into a book that could turn into a documentary or, or something and that Dallas can have an episode of hip hop evolution that Dallas can be in the hip hop Southern books that we can, that we can be there because we have so much, so much worth and so much value and so much merit. And that's a long laborious process. And it's not the most attractive process. Dallas still doesn't have all the, the good press trips in the places that people want to go to. But if Dallas can be successful, Tulsa can be successful Mississippi can be successful. Like all of all of the cities in the Chitlin circuit that don't get acknowledged can be successful. And like that is why I'm still campaigning to get my hands, to get my essay in the hands of Big Crit. Big Crit loves him some Dallas. He loves him some Tuck. He loves him some dirty South Riders. Because if that man from Mississippi could be one of the unsung heroes of the blog era, which is a completely different conversation. Mm-hmm. So can Tuck, because if I had to make a comparison, please don't shoot me, y'all, because I am licensed to carry and I live in Dallas now, so I'm not afraid to shoot back. That's warning. I love it. <laughs> I love it. Talk about it. There is a reason why Tuck has admiration. There's a reason why Crit has admiration for Tuck and Tuck has admiration for Crit, because I think between them, they see a lot of themselves in each other. <gasps> oh, my God. Well, now... Thanks to this podcast, where you're only a couple of degrees of separation away from Crit. That's all I'm saying. Oh, I plan so. to personally harass <laughs> Sir Wallace Sparks and Big Son <laughs> about getting this essay into the hands of Big Crit. Because here on something to say, we plot. We we are, yeah we are, yeah we're plotting Facts. and scheming on the future of hip hop on <laughs> on this here podcast. That is oh, my man. manifestation. Y'all see me on Twitter. We are getting this essay in Crit's hands. By end of year, I don't know what I got to do. I've already emailed his manager. I might email him again. This will be in Chris' hand. So help me God and all the disciples. Amen. Praise God. It's gonna, it's, <laughs> it, it is going to happen. Oh, it is already, it's, it's already happened. We just don't know it yet. Uh, <laughs> he's already read it. He's already read it. It's, it's happening. Man, like, it's, yo, don't play with that shit. And was like, <laughs> man, this is really good. Oh, yo, don't, man. Well, yo, don't play with me. Because if he read it, you know, I, would, <laughs> I would. I would. Look, I'm such a Dallas bird. I'm wearing my Ivy Parks and my Dallas sneaker. I would jump out of both of these things in a minute. <laughs> <laughs> I got some Dallas flies over here. I wish I could have been here. the cover art for this episode. Oh, my yeah, God. Yeah, yeah. That would actually be amazing. Oh, man. Well, I can't think of a better note to end on. Um, Taylor Crumpton considers Big Tuck's Purple Hulk is out December 1st, but you can pre-order that shit now. Right now. Um, Taylor, where can people go to pre-order this shit? 
Yeah, taylorhalfway.com will send you right there. Perfect, perfect. And y'all have been listening to the Some to Say podcast produced by Michael Saba out here in the SWATs. Uh, this podcast is generously supported by listeners um, like y'all. So if you are interested, head over to patreon.com slash something to say. And Taylor, thank you so much for joining us here on this fine Saturday afternoon. Oh.